Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. Common knowledge tells us that Tuesday night is the best time to book a flight, and we should buy tickets about three weeks before a domestic trip, show up to the airport an hour and a half before departure. But there's common knowledge, and then there is reality. And we have some experts in the room today to help us bust some of those myths, check facts, and answer frequently asked questions. Joining us in the Skift office today is an all-star cast, including George Hobica. He's a travel expert and the oft-quoted founder of Airfare Watchdog, which alerts travelers to low fares. Also with us is Associated Press, Airlines, and Travel Reporter, and a self-described avgeek, Scott Mayerwitz. They're here with me, Skift podcast host Hannah Sampson and reporter Dan Peltier. Thank you guys for joining us. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Okay, so you both were kind of giving each other looks when I ran through just those first three things. Um, and and we'll we'll try to answer some of those questions also. But but first, what do you what do you think it is about travel that encourages like the regular onslaught of bad advice from so-called experts? Um, Scott, I think you, you know, as part of your job, you debunk some of these things. So why do you think there's so much common knowledge out there? I think the first thing is it's just confusing. Um, I remember back in the days before the internet, and now I'm dating myself, um, (laughs) sitting on the phone, calling airline by airline, checking prices, seeing what I wanted to do. The amount of information out there has just changed so much as the booking process has changed so much, and there's so much room for confusion. But further, you know, as someone who buys groceries and, you know, clothing, the not only is the pricing different, but the need and desire is different. This is my vacation. I want to I want to stay at the nicest hotel. I want to have the best flight and I don't want to have to pay too much for it. So I think that combination really leads to all these myths and people who think they can game the system. I would agree completely. It's because it's so complicated and that's why a lot of journalists and experts try to simplify it for the consumer by boiling it down to uh, Tuesday at 3 a.m. is the best time to buy an airfare. And it's simply too I complicated. It was well, it depends <laughs> on who you talk to. Um, all right, thanks. Well, we'll I'm, we're going to want to answer that question. Uh, in more depth. In more depth a little later. Kill it. Kill that beast. <laughs> so turning a little bit towards controversy, um, Those of us who work in the travel industry inherently know some of the quirks about prices and schedules. Um, You know, you know, how many flights there are a day between New York and Chicago or L.A. or et cetera. Um, But when, you know, the public's, you know, brought into that, there's often a lot of confusion. So I'm thinking specifically about the skip lagged controversy last year um, over booking tickets beyond your real destination. So for listeners who aren't familiar with that really quick. It's basically um, called Hidden City Fares, where say you're trying to book a flight from New York to um, Chicago, um, and that's your actual destination, but there might be a cheaper flight from New York to LA that connects via Chicago, and you get off in Chicago, and then the airlines might get upset with you or whatever. And um, not sure how many people are doing that, but um, what are your thoughts on Hidden City Fares and 
Well, this is something that's been around for as long as airlines have operated hubs. The difference is, again, technology is making it easier for people to learn about it. And a site like that um, shows you how to game the system. You know, we've all known about this for a long time. Uh, those who know the cheapest cities, you know, know, for instance, book a ticket to Jacksonville, Florida, connect in Atlanta or Dallas to get there. And, oh, I didn't make my second leg. Um, airlines frown upon this. I personally have never done it, but I have um, talked to people who've wanted to do it and help them through the process. It's not really a good idea to do it because people have been kicked out of frequent flyer programs or had their status removed. I, I know one of our Twitter followers told me that he was uh, executive platinum on American and he did this too many times and suddenly he has no status on American. They didn't take away his miles, but they took away his status. Uh, there are all kinds of things that can go wrong when you do a hidden city ticket. I think that it's not a good idea. And it's also bad for uh, people who don't do it because what it does is it reduces the airline's revenue. And what are they going to do? They're going to increase fares for people who don't game the system. They're not going to take a hit on the airfare. They're simply going to raise fares for everyone else. So it's it's great if you're smart enough to do it, but you're costing somebody else money. I mean, the other thing to warn about this is you hit a thunderstorm and they suddenly route you through a new hub. <laughs> you wanted to go to Atlanta, but now you're connecting in Detroit and you're still not getting to where you need to go. It does happen. The And if you are the last one to board that plane, even if you just have carry-on bags, guess what? Your bag is going to be gate-checked and they're gate-checking all the way to that final destination, that city you don't want to go to. Ha ha. <laughs> and you're stuck in Detroit. Um, so airlines don't like for us to game their system. Those of us who travel often feel like airlines are trying to game us. Um, I'm thinking about like all of the all of the um, fees that we'll encounter on just about any airline now. So, w what is the industry's responsibility to better inform customers? And I'm thinking now, like Spirit Airlines, they did their bare fare campaign. Um, which was basically saying like, we know that you hate us and we're just going to explain why we do the things that make you hate us. We're not going to change those things, but um, at least you'll maybe be a little more aware because we're going to do some clever videos. Um, is that a good direction or is it more in airlines and other parts of travel? Is it more in their interest to um, just kind of try to pull the wool over travelers' eyes? Well, I think the airlines, especially the discounters, need to do a better job explaining to consumers about their fees and their packages. And one good example is Frontier Airlines. They have something called the Works, which is sometimes like $34 or $79 in addition to your ticket. So when you add that on to a $19 fare, which is quite common on Frontier, you get a bigger seat with more legroom, you get seat selection, you get a free check bag, a free carry-on bag, and you get complete refundability. And even when you add that the works package to the lowest fare, you're saving a lot of money compared to any other airline. And imagine getting a fully refundable ticket on a discount airline, but they don't advertise it. And they don't, they advertise it, but they don't actually compare fares. Like they should say, okay, this is what the other guys are charging. This is what we're charging. Uh, Spirit is the other way around. They say this is like all you get and 
it is annoying when you have to add on everything, but you don't have to add on anything. You take the seat that they give you, you put the uh, a bag under your seat, you have to pack very, very light. Uh, if it fits under the seat in front of you, you don't have to pay a, for the overhead bin. So I, I don't think they're doing a very good job telling people how to game their own system. I think it gets more confusing for passengers when they see these fares on a third-party site, the Expedia price lines of the world, and they don't know the history of that airline. By now they should, but I'll be honest, I go to airports and people still don't know about check bag fees, and we've had those since 2008 on all the airlines. So you have this situation where Passengers don't know the rules, they're searching by fare, and it's on a third-party site, so they don't necessarily see all that. But I'll say the industry is really bad about telling passengers any of their rights. Um, I recently wrote a story about schedule changes. If the airline moves your schedule by, let's say, an hour, hour and a half, you might actually qualify for a free change to any other flight within 24 hours. And the airlines don't tell you that. They say, oh, we've changed your flight. If you're not happy with it, give us a call. But they don't say, hey, guess what? That perfect flight that you wanted, that nonstop flight, we'll put you on that for free right now. Same thing when they bump you. Most passengers don't know there's a difference between volunteering to get off a plane and being forced off a plane. And when you're forced off a plane, there's a law in place offering you a lot of cash if you're not in your destination quickly. Airlines don't tell you that. Passengers have to be smart enough to ask for it. And often the airlines want to give you a voucher instead of cash, and that's totally illegal. You, you're entitled to cash up to, what is it, uh, $1,300 now, $1,350? Depending on your fare and the delay, yeah. yeah. Mm. Scott, have you seen, what's the direction that you've seen as you've been covering this industry in terms of transparency or volunteering information? Have you seen it go in more of a direction of, we're going to tell you less? Or have you seen anyone really try to go out of their way to be better about communicating? I, I think the information is at least out there easier for those who know to look for it to find you know we all have smartphones at the airport you can just look up something um you know i was flying american airlines a few years ago checking skis and the airline all airlines treat a boot bag and a ski bag as one piece of checked luggage so a 25 dollars fee they charged me $50 for it. And I said, no, that's not the rule. And they said, yes, it is. And I had to go on my smartphone, look up their policy, find it, show it to the check-in agent and her supervisor to get the fee waived. Now, I knew that rule, but I had the technology at least in place to find it and to override it. Uh, so I think passengers have more tools, but I wouldn't say anyone's necessarily more transparent parent these days. I think everyone should look up the airline's contract of carriage. It's kind of an interesting document. You can just Google United plus contract of carriage and you can see what your rights are. As, as Scott was saying, if there's a change in a schedule, you can actually get a full refund. Uh, if it's a was a nonstop and now it's a connecting flight, if it was a 7 a.m. flight and now it's a 5 a.m. flight, uh, if it's delayed more than 90 minutes or two hours, you can get a full refund on a non-refundable ticket. And that's also in the contract of carriage. Fascinating. Um, what about shoulder season? Is that something that still exists or are we just kind of on a rolling schedule now, like network, television? And is that an ideal time to book travel or 
not so much. Depends if you have kids in school and can travel whenever you want and what your job is. But destination by destination, there are still shoulder seasons. You know, if you want to go in January to Europe, airfares can be great, especially if you're traveling on off days. But I think um, what I've been seeing more of is what day of week you're flying makes much more of a difference on airfares, uh, especially if you're planning out those really, really cheap fares that uh, George always tweets out. <laughs> Let, let's be clear about booking during shoulder season and flying during shoulder season. It is cheaper to fly during shoulder season, but it could be cheaper to book your fare during high season for shoulder season travel. So a lot of people confuse uh, traveling and booking, buying and traveling. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesdays are the cheapest days to fly, but they're not necessarily the cheapest days to buy. Mm. A discount, unadvertised sale could happen any second of any day of any year during your lifetime. And the, the key is to... <laughs> to grab it while you can. And how do you grab it? Well, I always tell people to sign up for uh, emailed airfare alerts. You can just Google the term. Of course, we're number one when you Google it. That's why I say that. <laughs> uh, and, and that's not gaming the uh, the Google ag algorithm. It's just because we have the best um, emails. And uh, sorry for that uh, shameless uh, self-promotion. <laughs> and also follow Twitter. Um, you know, hashtag airfare on Twitter. It, a lot of people don't think it's useful anymore. It's very useful for finding the magic time to buy the most amazing airfare to the most amazing destination. And it's not just us who use that hashtag uh, airfare. All of our competitors use it as well. And it's a great way to uh, quickly find out where it's cheap to fly. I'm going to add a caveat there because a lot of travelers can't just book on a moment's notice that dream vacation and go to some random place because there's a great sale. You have to do your research and you have to start well in advance, say, okay, here is where I want to travel. Here are the different flight options. Here are the times that are okay for me. And these are the rough dates. Once you narrow that down, go ahead, set up all those airfare alerts, look for it, but get a baseline of what a real good fare is. You know, if it's 350 to fly from New York to Florida, you get a sense of where it is. And when it drops to 220, you know that you need to book. Don't wait for $150. If the base fare is seven, $800, you know that it's a very popular day to fly or a very popular destination. So don't be out there waiting for that $250 sale. And, and definitely the value of a airfare is just as important as the actual price. I mean, if it's a $700 fare to Europe in summer, it's not the same thing as a $700 airfare in winter. Those, those summer fares has much higher value. Is, is it a nonstop? Is it on a Dreamliner or, or in a 727? Uh, there are all kinds of things you should factor in. We're going to Avgeek territory here, but are those seven twenty sevens even flying? They are on, on uh, some, uh, you know, Pakistan Airways. <laughs> I, this this next question is I, to me like especially insidious, but but this is something that comes up among friends who travel but aren't like in the know about travel. So when I'm searching for a flight, are airlines, hotels, OTAs, are they tracking my searches? via cookies to jack up the results um, is if, if I go away from that search and come back an hour later, will everything be more expensive because they are um, 
messing with me. Is your big brother watching you? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Consumer Reports tried to track this and did an in-depth study about clearing cookies and not, and they didn't find anything. So if they can't find anything, what happens is that, that there's one seat available or one hotel room available at the cheapest rate. And that is booked by somebody else and you didn't book it. I want to say too, with what Scott was saying about planning for travel, very important. Uh, if you see a great fare, like we, we saw fares, uh, $500 fares recently to Sydney, Australia and Melbourne, Australia, round trip. Yeah, you're not following here for Washington. Including all taxes and fees. <laughs> Including That's, all taxes Sydney's and fees. Sydney's not wow. one of my alerts, It was, from, it was on the East Coast, and then Delta had this amazing sale from every small airport, like Augusta, Georgia, 916, for summer travel, for U.S. summer travel. Uh, just book it and, and uh, set a timer, 24 hours, to cancel if you can't get the hotel, if you can't get your friends to come with you. Just book it because you can now uh, get a full refund on uh, any fare uh, as long as it's seven days or more ahead of travel. Uh, just by calling the airline and saying, I want my money back or I want to cancel it. The other thing on the cookies, um, while they might not be doing that, they do have some big data that they are collecting and they're selling more items to you based on your past propensity, uh, your past actions and your propensity to do so in the future. So if you purchase an extra legroom seat, you can be assured the next time you fly, they're going to be hitting you with emails every week saying, upgrade $20 more, $20 more. You sure you want to get it? Come on. And, uh, you know, I can get some emails, sometimes three or four of them right before a trip. Mm, so, so what you're saying is Big Brother is watching. In some ways. <laughs> so we've already talked a little bit about how Airlines might be more transparent on their own websites versus if you're using um, an online travel agency, it might be harder to understand fares and um, different fees that they are charging. So can we talk a little bit more about, you know, booking direct through the airline versus using a third party um, when there's different marketing messages, perhaps, depending on where you're booking? So this is... The, the thing I think in travel right now, at least this year, especially with the hotels and the airlines, everybody wants you to book direct. Um, what they don't say is that you should be searching around first. Um, personally, I always book direct as long as that price does match. There are occasions like those last minute non-refundable sites where um, you know, I can get that cheaper hotel room from hotel tonight or from Priceline and I take it. But generally, if I'm planning travel, I go to one of the meta sites, search first, and then come back to the airline or hotel book. But that's also, I'm a business traveler. You know, I spent 73 nights on the road um, two years ago. I fly anywhere from 75,000 to 100,000 miles. For me, loyalty matters, and I'm not getting my miles or my hotel points if I'm not booking directly. So that's me. Some of those in- uh, frequent travelers, you know, Hotels.com has its own reward site, and all of them have their reward sites. You can stay five nights in a Marriott, three in a Hilton, two at independent B&Bs, and you get a free night out of it. So I think it depends on each person. Well, I know when I travel for business, we have to go through a travel agent. We have to go through a corporate travel agency. So, so that's not an issue for me. But when I do independent leisure travel, 
I usually book direct, but I search on the OTAs and sometimes the OTAs will tell you that it's cheaper to go out on United and come back on American. So in order to do that with uh, online uh, airline sites, you have to book two separate tickets. On an OTA, you book one flight and supposedly they are responsible for your booking. But what happens if your flight on American when you book directly is canceled and you have a separate one-way ticket and then uh, you can't even use your return on United, let's say it's a two-day trip. So uh, if you book through an, a travel agent, supposedly they are responsible for helping you out there. Uh, I don't know if that always works that way. Um, as far as getting points, though, you can still get miles if you book uh, airfare directly through a, a, an OTA. You just give them their the frequent flyer mile. What the airlines are doing, though, is a promo code. Like um, Air New Zealand had a $400 promo code recently. You could only uh, use it on their site. JetBlue does this all the time. You can only use it on their site. Frontier. Frontier does it, Spirit does it, and um, now Lufthansa Group is charging extra to book on an OTA online travel agency, like $17 or something. So they are, they are really trying to incentivize you to book direct. And for me, one of the other issues is if something goes wrong on the trip, I don't want to have to deal with a middleman. But that's me personally, and I think if the savings is large enough, I'm willing to book through that middleman. Uh, the the New York Times did a story um, recently about the plague of the middle seat and how it's hard to avoid that. Um, it didn't really get into a lot of prices or fees that can be paid to avoid the middle seat. Do you think it's it's harder than ever, and you probably struggle with this when you're writing, but harder than ever to communicate clearly the cost of travel, especially air travel, um, and and what it takes to just kind of have a pleasant trip. <laughs> it's not just the middle seat. It's sitting together with your friends and family. Uh, I flew last week to Florida, and there were a lot of families on my flight to and from Florida. And I saw a lot of them in line at the with the gate agent begging and pleading, just put two of us together. And that's one of the problems. Airlines are holding more and more of their seats back for the elite frequent flyers or those who are willing to pay more for either a seat with extra legroom or just one with the same miserable cramped space but a little closer to the front of the plane. And because of that, if you aren't one of those first people to book, there aren't going to be two, three, or four seats together. And it, you shouldn't necessarily be the first person to book because the airfare might be astronomically high when you first start searching. One tip to sit next to your family is to put the age of your children in the reservation. You'll see that a lot of times the airlines still have a pull down to show the age of your of your children. It's not because you're going to get a discount. It's because some airlines like American and also British Airways attempt to put children under a certain age with a parent booking on the same ticket. So always put your, your child's age there. And, and definitely uh, 24 hours before, try to get a new seat assignment by calling the airline because that's when they upgrade the people from uh, the regular economy to premium economy who have status. And the seats do open up. So it's not always impossible. I think one of the other confusing things, just when you're talking about middle seats, is depending on which airline you're traveling, um, American does it one way. JetBlue does it another way, and they board. You know, they board from the back of the plane. Southwest has their own boarding. So, I mean, if you only travel once or twice a year, how are, how are people even supposed to know? Like, this is how it's going to work. I wish 
some scientists would finally <laughs> settle the, <laughs> the, the, the... There must be a way to answer this question. What's the, the best way to board the economy class section of an Nobody airplane? knows yet. Yeah, I've yeah, flown United recently, and I, I hadn't flown on them in, in years, and they had the, the, uh, the lines, one, two, three, four, five, horrible system. And then yeah. Southwest is like a cattle call, and, and uh, American does it by, uh, by groups, but you don't have to line up. It's weird. Yeah, and, and the whole boarding process probably could be improved, but they want to reward those who are loyal with that. And boarding early today really means having space in the overhead bin. So it's a perk to your frequent flyers or those who hold your credit card or some other financial relationship. Or those who've paid an extra whatever, $12, $20 for early. For early boarding. Um, the other thing with the whole middle seat issue is that it's going to get worse. Um, it used to be that you didn't get advanced seat assignments on the low-cost carriers like Spirit or Allegiant or Frontier. But Delta has come out with something called basic economy. <laughs> now, this is a fare that not everyone necessarily knows about, but I will give Delta credit. They are very clear in their website that here's what this fare includes and here's what it doesn't include. And one of the things it doesn't include is an advanced seat assignment. And United and American are both going to match this fare in the next few months. They haven't given us the full details yet, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to include seat assignments. So there are going to be more and more people out there booking these ultra low cost fares on legacy airlines and not getting seats in advance. And probably ending up in the middle. In the middle, next to the bathroom, in the middle, next to the bathroom, something like that. And also those fares are totally non-refundable and non-changeable. You have to fly that flight that you bought or you can just eat the ticket. They're not really worth it. They're sometimes just 10 or $20 less than a, a fare with a little bit more, a few more rights to them. So I would not buy them personally. So I guess for, first, both of you are really high profile travel experts. So I'm sure you're constantly bombarded family and friends to the point that it gets a little agitating. Um, <laughs> but what would you say for each of you is the most pervasive misunderstanding you encounter either from consumers or family, friends, um, the questions, the question you get asked the most? Well, for me, it is, and we've already touched on this previously, when's the best time to buy an airfare? I get this all the time on Twitter. Should I wait? Should I not wait? Uh, my crystal ball is in the shop. It's been, it's been there for years. <laughs> and I, I don't even know which shop it's in anymore. Uh, really, there's no best time to buy an airfare. There's the best time to fly, perhaps. So the Tuesdays, Wednesdays for domestic travel, Monday through Thursdays on international travel. But there are so many great tools out there to, to track fares and also to educate yourself about airfares. Uh, I, I love uh, Kayak, for example, and Google Flights is interesting. Make sure that you use the flexible date search functions of the airlines. <clears throat> there are so many great new tools like United, you have to click my dates are flexible. Delta has the same thing. American doesn't. Uh, JetBlue has something called Best Fair Finder. Just Google uh, JetBlue Best Fair Finder. They don't even have a link from their from their homepage. Southwest has their short so-called shortcut or low fare calendar. And that those are the great tools to find dates where it's cheaper to fly, sometimes over an entire year. And the other um, uh, possibility is when on Kayak, you have to give them your email address or sign up on uh, Facebook 
and they will show you a month view of flexible dates. They don't have Southwest, they don't have Allegiant, uh, they don't have every single airline, but it's it's a great tool. And of course, google.com slash flights and then google.com slash flights slash explore. The slash explore <laughs> is again hidden. I don't know they why. They make it so easy. <laughs> I don't know why they don't show show this, but it, for, for a while they took it down, the slash explore uh, subsite, and it's a very interesting flexible date search. I, I would... Add to George's comments that you should also check the flexible hotel calendars because for most of us when we're flying, it's not just about the airfare, it's the entire package. And I actually think Marriott has the best site for this. Uh, you can do flexible searches on their site for each of the hotels. And that's usually a good indicator of what the market is going to be. You don't have to stay at the Marriott, but it gives you an idea that, whoa, this is a bad weekend. I should not be flying to town. Um, I do get asked the same question as George does, so I'm not going to give that so the answer. An so the answer is it's not Tuesday night, the best time it's to book a flight. Not, it could be Friday. It could be Saturday. It could be Sunday. It could be any day of the week, any month of the year. You just have to pounce when you see a good fare. Uh, I think a lot of people always ask me afterwards, what's your favorite airline or who should I fly? And that's a real question that each person has to answer for themselves. For me, the most important thing is being on time. So I actually look at on-time statistics and reliability and choose the airline that is most likely to get me there on time as long as the price is not too, too high up. I'll probably pay $30 to $50 more on a round-trip flight to book on an airline that is going to get me there on time. Speaking of on-time performance, you can see these statistics on most airlines' websites. The DOT tracks them. And combine that with the cheapest fares. Sometimes the cheapest fares are the ones that have a 30-minute connection in Atlanta on a flight that's 100% of the time 30 minutes or more late. <laughs> so I was talking about value versus price. Beware when you see a, a really super low airfare that has a terrible connection. And the reason it's super low is because so many people miss their flights and uh, people don't want to book them. It's, uh, or the ones that require an overnight stay in Shanghai. Yeah, it's $300 less, but you have to buy a hotel and, and get from the airport to the hotel and back. And so sometimes the lowest fare is not the best fare. Mm. This has been valuable advice, guys. Thank you. We could probably do this feature every week for a year and still have a lot of questions to tackle. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Let's do it great. again. Yeah. That would be great. 